0: One of the deadliest sins in our lives, perhaps the deadliest sin in our life, is the sin of pride. And uh, the scriptures uh, are, are just filled with uh, examples of why we should not be a prideful people. But, of course, the greatest example is the example of Jesus Christ himself. And uh, we see this in the Philippians chapter 2. The apostle Paul uh, takes us to the cross, takes us to the humiliation of Jesus Christ, in order that we would have greater love for one another and service for one another and would not allow pride uh, to determine our interaction with one another. i read to you from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In our passage today in Mark chapter 15 verses 16 through 32, we're going to see Uh, uh, a description of what happened to Jesus on the cross. And what's interesting, we're not going to see a description of the injustice of the trial. Uh, We're not going to see a description of the pain of the actual crucifixion. But the emphasis from Mark here is the complete humiliation that Jesus Christ received at the hands of evil people who literally gloated over his suffering and his death. Uh, This is a heavy sermon. And we're looking at the death of Jesus Christ, and we love Jesus Christ, but in that heaviness, there's also a gravitas that I want us to take hold of. And as we look at the death of Jesus Christ, my hope is, as we look at the humiliation of Jesus Christ in that death, it will cause us just to fall more and more in love with Him, and and to trust Him for our lives. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then let's unlock the the wonders of this amazing passage. God, in faith, we turn to you, God, and and we come before you. We've already confessed our sins, God, but we recognize we are a prideful people. We recognize that we are a whining people. We recognize that we blaspheme by not trusting you constantly. And I pray, God, that as you take us some 2,000 years back in history and you take us to the scene of the cross and the humiliating way that our Lord died that you would help us remember he went through that for us. So I pray, God, that you would make this, the scriptures clear to us this morning and help us to fall in love with you all over again as a result of understanding the humiliation of Jesus at the cross. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please turn to your copy of uh, God's Word. We also have a a handout for you called Home Groups Helps, which on one side has the outline uh, for this morning's sermon, and on the other side has some uh, information that might be helpful to you in terms of... uh, Uh, as the Puritans would say, chew the cud on uh, God's word and understand more and more as you uh, 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 consider some of the principles that we learn today. And these are used in our home groups. They're also an excellent way uh, for you to have family devotions to kind of go through the sermon together. Uh, But in this passage, we're looking at Mark 15, 16 through 32, and you'll see it broken down in three ways. We'll see the humiliation of Christ by the soldiers in verses 16 through 20, the humiliation by the cross in verses 21 through 25, and the humiliation by the observers in verses 26 through 32. First of all, the humiliation by the soldiers, verses 16 through 20. This is the word of the Lord. God says, Mark writes, And the soldiers took him away into the palace, that is, the praetorium, and they called together the whole Roman cohort. And they dressed him up in purple after weaving a crown of thorns. They put it on him. And they began to acclaim him, Hail, king of the Jews. And they kept beating his head with a reed and spitting at him and kneeling and bowing before him. And after they had mocked him, they took the purple robe off him and put uh, his garments on him, and they led him out to crucify him. Now, the scene that we have before us, of course, comes after the, uh, the trial by the Sanhedrin. Uh, well, first of all, his arrest in the uh, in the Garden, the trial by the Sanhedrin, and then the trial before Pilate. Uh, and Pilate continued to talk about the innocence of Jesus Christ uh, in the trial. Nevertheless, because he wanted to appease the crowd, uh, he had him scourged and delivered up for crucifixion. So what we're seeing here with what's going on with the soldiers and the humiliation that they're bringing about upon Jesus Christ has actually happened after Jesus Christ has been scourged. Scourged, and of course, I'll spare you a lot of the details, but it was being whipped with a leather whip with little pieces of wood or uh, metal uh, or bone uh, within the whips, and it was meant to, uh, it, you're, he's being flailed, uh, and very often people didn't even survive the scourging before they were crucified. But scourging itself was intimidated, uh, intended to humiliate the prisoner. And then it was intended to make the crucifixion last uh, less long because of all the blood loss and things like that. He goes to the praetorium here. The praetorium was, first of all, refers to the elite soldiers who were the the guard of the prefect and then the place where they were housed. And notice this that Paul says, I mean, Paul, uh, Mark says the whole Roman uh, uh, cohort was there. That word cohort means whole company, it's one tenth of a Roman legion. So this is not a small group of people. Uh, if, if Mark is, means this literally, you're talking about 600 soldiers here. This is an arena situation where Jesus is being mocked and he is being abused there. Um, and, of course, they were taking great pleasure in this. They wanted to see this. The Romans despised the Jews. The Jews, of course, despised the Romans. And that just increased their mutual hatred for one another. So here they they get the word there in the barracks that we got one who claims to be the king of the Jews. Well, we're going to have some some sport with this fellow. We can't wait to... to humiliate this guy of the, uh, that's supposed to be the king of the people that we hate so much. So they decide to spend some time uh, with him. It says here they dress him up with purple and they weave a crown of thorns upon his head. Uh, purple, of course, was uh, the uh, the most expensive color dye that you could get in the ancient Near East. It was uh, usually reserved for royalty or uh, specialty. Uh, it probably wasn't a true purple royal robe that they grabbed. Grab. Some people uh, say that what they probably got is a a scarlet, an old scarlet cape of a Roman soldier that had been faded to purpleness uh, in the sun over time uh, because they probably wouldn't spend the money on a purple fabric in order to mock him at the moment, and the cape would have been available perhaps. Uh, and then they weave this crown. Of course, a crown, And then you know, they're Romans, so they're accustomed to a, a, a great athlete or a great uh, warrior would be, receive a, a, a laurel wreath or a crown of gold, and the Caesars would wear a crown of gold. So they decide to make a crown, but they make theirs out of a uh, thorn bush, out of the uh, acanthus plant, which is common in the Mediterranean. They weave it together. They press it on his head just to add to his agony. And then they begin to mock him, Hail, King of the Jews, Hail, King of the Jews, and, of course, that is uh, something they're accustomed to, to saying, Hail, Caesar. So you could just almost see him saying, Hail, and they're knocking him in the face as they hail him and, and make fun of him. So here he is dressed up to be the pathetic king. Uh, uh, they don't even know this man, and yet they just pour their hatred for the Jews upon him Uh, as they are going with this the Romans of course are making fun uh, of his uh, king his political status his royal status Uh, Jesus suffered similar humiliation when he was before the Sanhedrin that would slap him and spit on him and mock him and say tell us who prophesied there they were making fun of his uh, divine status they beat him on the head with a a reed that could be just a papyrus reed or it could be like the 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 uh, shaft of an arrow some but it hurt it's it hurt So they're knocking him on the head with that. And then they're kneeling before him. And that's probably the most interesting thing because they're coming before him and they're kneeling down and they're saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And what they don't realize, they're actually fulfilling prophecy by doing that. Philippians goes on in Philippians 10, uh, uh, 11. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those that are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every one of those mocking Roman soldiers will see Jesus again and they will see him on the throne and they will see him as judge even as they mock him during this life. Of course, this is in fulfillment of Isaiah 50, verses 5 through 6. I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. I gave my back to those who strike me and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and from spitting. That's amazing. How 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 well would we do in that situation? <laughs> I mean, the, just the just the humiliation of that would cause us to fight back, would it not? And yet Jesus came, Jesus walked towards this. He knew this was going to happen. He had already prophesied that this was going to happen, and he just sits there and takes it. He just takes it. Why? Because he loves you, and because he loves the Father. And they had already had an agreement that he would go through this in order to fulfill the scriptures. Now we see the humiliation by the cross in verses 21 through 25. And they pressed into service a passerby by coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of the skull. And they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, and divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide uh, what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. So notice here you got a, the introduction of a new character here, poor old Simon here is pressed into service. That idea of pressed into service is used of forcing a slave or an animal to do something, some sort of work. Um, and you, the, the 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 situation was when a criminal was to be crucified they would carry the cross beam on their own shoulders to the place of crucifixion just to add further humiliation but apparently the scourging and the abuse that Jesus had received was sufficient the blood loss and that's sort of thing where he was too weak to be able to carry that so on the way to Golgotha uh, they end up grabbing this poor guy who was just sitting there watching Simon of Cyrene and making him come in and, uh, and uh, carry this cross here Plutarch uh, uh, mentions that every criminal condemned to death bears his own cross on his back, but if they can't, they'll get somebody else to bear that cross. Certainly wouldn't be a Roman soldier. And we have the introduction of Simon of Cyrene. Now, Cyrene is uh, located in North Africa. It's in modern-day Libya. It was a prosperous a trade town, so it's possible that Simon was there just for trade, but, but it also had a large Jewish population, so he was probably there for the Passover. He was a pious Jew, came to observe the Passover, but here's one of those cool moments in the, in the tragedy of the cross. Uh, when Paul is writing to the Romans sometime le- uh, uh, after this, uh, in Romans 16, 13, uh, he says, Greetings to Rufus in the church of Rome. Now, who is Rufus? Well, Simon is the father of Rufus and Alexander. So, uh, and Mark, remember, is writing to a Roman audience. So he, he mentions Simon because the Romans would have known his son Rufus. So one of the beautiful pictures here is it appears that Simon actually came to eternal salvation as a result of this moment. He saw the innocence of Jesus Christ. He saw the oppression of what was happening, the wickedness of those. I mean, he made it all the way up to the cross. He carried the cross beam there. He would have been there in the front in the front seat of this situation here. And through the, the, the grace of Jesus Christ, who fills him later with the Holy Spirit, evidently Simon came to know the Lord. As one commentator says, God's invisible hand was sovereignty at wo- sovereign, uh, t- sovereignly at work providentially using um, the terrible actions of the Roman soldiers to draw this hapless bystander into saving faith. Another really example here is that uh, Simon is doing physically, literally, what Jesus told each one of you to do metaphorically. You go all the way back to Mark chapter 8. and Jesus says this, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever wishes, loses his life for my sake and the gospels shall save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You want to know the true Christian? The true Christian is is Simon. He's the one that follows Jesus Christ bearing the load of the cross. He denies himself. That's what we do. We deny ourselves. We worship the Lord the reason why people don't come to faith is they think they're they, they're above God. But well, the Christian learns he needs God. He needs grace. He's a sinner. And he re- and he holds loosely to the things of this world because God may take him away as many of us know. Holds loosely to the things of this world and he has hope in the things that are to come. His hope is in heaven, it's not in this world. Now that's a message for today. If we ever had a if there's ever been in history a more self-centered selfish culture I don't know when it was everything is about us now and then we'd expect to be applauded constantly not so the Christian the Christian is to be like Simon take up his cross and follow him they go to Golgotha uh, and he gives the translation here which means place of the skull here which is uh, Golgotha Golgotha's uh, Aramaic, for skull. We get the term Calvary from the Latin, calvis, which means the scalp or bald head. So it's the Calvary is the, uh, the Latin interpretation of the place of the skull. And, of course, there, there's a question about where this actually takes place. Um, uh, Gordon's Calvary is one uh, uh, tempting offer because it's near the uh, garden tomb. And there in Jerusalem, uh, the garden tomb is one of the only places, maybe the only place, that's actually managed by Protestants. And there's just it's just a peaceful, beautiful place, and there's really a sense of worship. Most places of significance uh, in the Holy Land, uh, they've built a church on top of it, and sometimes it's just so overdone to the point of gaudiness. And uh, that, in a sense, is is what's happened here. It, that is tempting to think of Gordon's Calvary. It's probably though, uh, probably not there. It actually is probably the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, where the church was built right on top of a of, a, of a, an outcropping of rock outside the gates of Jerusalem. Wherever it was, though, it was there, and it was outside the gates because you had to suffer outside the gates. And they make, notice this, uh, this interesting detail. They give them something to, as a narcotic. They offer them a, a primitive narcotic, wine mixed with myrrh to kind of help deaden the pain. It's really the, only, it's really the only humanitarian part of the crucifixion story here. Uh, and they they offer this to him, and, and wouldn't we take that? <laughs> Especially if we've been up for two days and been beaten to a pulp, and everything else, and you're carrying the, the 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 weight of the world's sin on your shoulder. I think we could we would all say we'd like to have a little bit of help. But notice this: Jesus does not take it. He does not take it. He doesn't want anything to interfere with this moment. He doesn't want to anything to interfere with his relationship, his walk with the Lord. He wants to take the full wrath of god's wrath and the full punishment that the romans and the jews want to afflict upon him we should walk similar to what jesus in an unhindered way i I think about these um so many these uh, eastern religions that use narcotics as a form of worship uh and they they will claim oh i saw spirits you know and and uh we would say you probably did (laughs) and uh they're probably not the ones you want to be with Uh, we don't have narcotics uh in our in our worship we 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 have the holy spirit that's enough so he goes on and uh, that's also in fulfillment of holy scripture psalm 69 they also gave me gall for my food and for my first they gave me vinegar to drink and then he just says and they crucified him there's no emphasis on the details here uh it's just sort of a matter of fact description here uh, uh, as one commentator said every totalitarian regime needs a terror apparatus The crucifixion was Rome's terror apparatus, infamous alike for its infliction of pain uh, and uh, its humiliation upon the victim. Uh, Quetelion says this, Whenever we crucify the guilty, the most crowded roads are chosen when the most people can see and be moved by this with fear. Uh, Romans probably got the idea of crucifixion from the Persians, but just like they do, like Romans do with everything, it's an entire empire of engineers. They made it efficient and they made it effective. Uh, it was estimated that in Israel during this time, over 30,000 people would have been crucified. Can you imagine? You take your children with you to Jerusalem three times a year as a good pilgrim, and, and you can never seem to go through the gates of that city without seeing a body or someone dying on a cross. The smallest child in Israel would have seen hundreds of crucifixions before they even reached adulthood. How would you protect your child from something like that? And, if the, and the Romans did that intentionally. They wanted it to be in front of everybody so the smallest child knows don't mess with Rome. And it could take days to die from crucifixion. It was intended to be cruel. It was to, intended to humiliate. It was intended to prolong uh, suffering. Cicero, the Roman writer, says this is the cruelest and most hideous punishment possible. It's estimated that some 6,000 rebels during Spartacus' rebellion were, uh, were crucified on the Appian Way between the coast uh, and Rome. And the, One of the, 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 the terrors of, of crucifixion was that uh, they would nail your feet and in order to breathe you had to lift upon those nailed feet. You don't bleed to death. You actually probably die of heart failure, uh, uh, suffocation, something like that. And then you have this other point here uh, that is also fulfillment, of course, is Scripture of Psalm 22. They divided my garments among them, and my clothing they cast lots. You have the soldiers here just heartlessly, right in front of the cross here, taking his clothing and, 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 and bartering for it and sharing the various pieces of clothing that they have with this, uh, these four soldiers that are there uh, as the guard of the cross. Again, uh, this goes to the point of, of this, that normally, according to Roman standards, when someone's crucified, they were crucified naked because the point is, again, humiliation. So here's Jesus Christ uh, being humiliated in front of even some of those that, uh, that love him. And he says here, this is the third hour he was crucified, so he was actually he was crucified at 9 a.m. Now we see the humiliation by the observers in verses 26 through 32. And the inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. And they crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves and saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let, his, let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see him and believe. And those who were crucified with him were casting the same insult at him so in a sense things just go from bad to worse here uh where you've got the observers themselves hurling this abuse they're mocking him they're actually enjoying his pain his suffering his his humiliation and of course they're adding to that but there's also a little bit of irony here and and um some vengeance on Pilate's part here. It says that the Scripture were on the charges, and it was both the Jewish and the Roman custom to put the the inscription above the cross of the charges of whether it was murder or theft or whatever it might be. And, and, And Pilate, of course, knew that. And what did Pilate write on that inscription? He wrote, the king of the Jews. Again, he didn't realize he was fulfilling Scripture, but he's declaring before all the world to see, this is the king of the jews now if you look at john's gospel you understand this really troubled the sanhedrin they didn't like this they said no 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 don't say he was the king of the jews say that he said he was the king of the jews now now pilate had options they leveled something like seven different accusations against jewish against jesus you know he doesn't pay taxes he's a rebel uh, he's going to destroy the temple and all this kind of stuff but of all those the one that pilate picks is the king of the jews they said, no, change it. Say, he said he was the king of Jews. Pilate says, no, I'm going to keep what I've written. Pilate is getting his vengeance at the Sanhedrin. He knows this man's innocent, So it's sort of this, his little last blow against those who, were, who insisted that this innocent man die. I don't even know that Pilate realized what he was doing, but it's a declaration, isn't it? That Jesus was indeed the king of the Jews. Now, of course, we see here that two robbers were with him. Uh, one on the right and one on the left, that word for uh, 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 robber, (laughs) I invented a new word (laughs) this morning, that word for robber, Josephus Josephus uses later on to describe zealots, rebels caught in the rebellion against uh, Rome. And these two people, remember Barabbas was uh, was, uh, let go. It's very likely that these folks were insurrections. They were rebels that were caught in that same insurrection that Barabbas was uh, implicated in. So they're uh, they're being crucified uh, with him. Now here's another interesting uh, kind of a, a foreshadowing. Here, You remember when they were going to Jerusalem and James and John are kind of having this discussion on who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? You know, Jesus, every time Jesus said, "I'm going to die, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be rejected," they start this great argument about who's going to be number one in the kingdom. <laughs> and uh, of course, we have the uh, we have the the, the blessing of, of history and have some hindsight that they didn't have here nevertheless you wonder how do they miss it so badly sometimes and uh, jesus addresses this in mark chapter 10 he said to them what do you want me to do for you and they said to him grant that we may sit in your glory one on your right and one on your left but jesus said to them you do not know what you're asking for are you able to drink the cup which i'm able to which i drink or the baptism which the baptism which i am baptized and they said we are able This is where James and John could have been, one on the right and one on the left. And, of course, this fulfills scriptures uh, where he was uh, numbered with the transgressors. Isaiah 53, 12 says this, Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great and will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors you got all the crowd coming up here. They're hurling abuse at him. And then you've got the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees and the scribes and the high priests coming up and doing it. Talk about a lack of dignity. They're probably wearing their, their high priestly robes, and they're, they're making fun of a man who's being tortured to death. They're, they're, they're trying to make it as bad as they possibly can because the psychological damage can be just as bad as the physical damage, as some of you know. They're 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 mocking him. I mean, I think about just how evil their hearts are. That you would be so cruel to someone who is obviously you've won the battle. He's going to die, and you're just adding pain and difficulty to his death. The interesting thing is uh, that the term for mocking him and or hurling abuse at him that the the, the word is actually blasphema. Okay, so the very thing they accuse Jesus of blaspheming, they're actually doing right now as the Son of God is dying on the cross. Psalm twenty two, this is the fulfillment of verses six through eight. I am but I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me, they separate with the lip, they wag the head, saying, Commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him, let him rescue him, because he delights in him. Many bulls have surrounded me, strong bulls of bastion have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me as a ravening and roaring lion and then they say he saved others but he cannot save himself that's because he didn't come here to save himself he came here to save you they were enjoying his suffering you know uh, as some of y'all have been to our house you know we live next to a feral cat ranch and um, the, the lady next door just has fed these cats and we just have litter of litter I've got a litter of kittens living in my log pile right now I try to give them away every time we have a bible study and no one will take them uh, but one of the things, I'm a, I'm a keen observer of, of cats, and I'm sitting on the brand, I'm watching the cats, and often, y'all have seen this, they'll, they'll get a, a mole or a bird or something like that, and before putting it to death, they'll just play with it. The little things trying to get away and squeaking and stuff, and they'll just play, they're throwing it up in the air. They, I mean, we understand they're learning to be predators and that kind of stuff, it's not they mean to be cruel, uh, but that's really kind of what the high priest, the people are doing. They're just playing, they're making sport of a man who is uh, going to die here. It's a great temptation. But another one of those little, kind of like Simon getting saved later on, notice this, that those who were crucified with him were casting the same insult at him. Uh, Thankfully, we also know from uh, the, uh, the Gospel of Luke here that one of those two robbers got saved, remember? Remember me when you were in your kingdom? Today you'll be with me in paradise. So one of those two robbers eventually got saved. Isn't that something? The centurion uh, recognizes that he's the Son of God, as we're going to see the next time we look at this passage. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to save people that are robbers and murderers and full of hatred, people like us. You think about this incredible humiliation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He could have just been beheaded. He didn't have to go through this at all. But he suffered this for us as Philippians said, as an example to us. I couldn't help but think about Romans eight thirty one 31-32. If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? The humiliation actually proves uh, God's faithfulness, the, 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 the extent which God is willing to go through for you. So in all this, my hope is that we would love him all the more. Let me pick back up with that Philippians 2 passage that speaks of the humiliation of Christ. What happens as a result of all of this? Picking up with verse 9. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those that are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So then, my beloved, just as you have also obeyed, not only in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work within you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's why we have the humiliation of Christ before us today. Father, we do pray that we would go to school on the humiliation of Christ, understand your great love for us the great example for Jesus Christ, our great need of eternal salvation, what work could we do would be greater than that work that Christ did on the cross for us where he died for our sins, as a, offered up as a sin offering. It's remarkable to us, God, even though sometimes we question it, that when you nailed Christ on the cross, for those who are in Christ, you nailed our sins on the cross too, and you see us as your perfect, obedient Son, what a wonder that is. How can we whine? How can we complain? How can we not tell of this great gospel truth, this freedom that God offers to sinners? Lord, motivate us with our great love as we look at the humiliation of Christ this week. In Christ. name.